Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Anila Omar Lee-Yen. Anila is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Center for Newcomers in Calgary. She has 28 years of experience in the settlement sector. Beyond traditional settlement services, Anila has spearheaded programming to include volunteer-led refugee supports, Indigenous education for newcomers, LGBTQ plus supports, domestic violence, homeless and mental health support services, broadened vulnerable youth programming, and social venture opportunities. Anila was the Civil Society Chair for the Calgary COVID Care Table from December 2020 to August 2021, which assisted more than 30,000 vulnerable Calgarians during the pandemic, leading to a vaccination rate of 99% for Northeast Calgary. Anila continues to lead the Calgary Sector Collaborative Transformation as the Chair of the Calgary Newcomers Collaborative. Anila's current volunteer positions include Chair of AG Media at the Calgary Stampede, Co-Chair of Arts and Heritage Grant Committee at the Calgary Foundation, Moderator for a Calgary Facebook Gardening Group with 3,000 plus members, Ambassador with Calgary Comic Expo, United Way Impact Speaker, Settlement Sector Representative on the Calgary Local Immigration Partnership, past president at Rotary Club Millennium in Calgary, and panelist with CBC Radio Calgary's Unconventional Panel. Anila also spends much of her time mentoring youth and young adults and taking care of the elders in her life. Anila holds a BSc with honors in psychology, specifically behavioral neuroscience and a BSc in Biological Sciences from the University of Calgary, as well as an MBA with distinction from Keller Graduate School of Management. She is an alumnus of the U.S. State Department's International Visitor Leadership Program and is a featured author in the International Museum of Women's Anthology, Imagining Ourselves, Global Voices from a New Generation of Women. Her numerous awards for her contributions to her community include the Governor General's Award in commemoration of the person's case, the University of Calgary's Alumni Arch Award, Top 40 Under 40 in Calgary, Women of Inspiration, Top 25 Women of Influence in Canada, and the Top 100 Most Powerful Women in Canada. For fun, Anila is an avid gardener, a martial arts student, and a sci-fi fantasy cosplayer. 
She lives in Rocky View County with her husband, Stefan, and their puppy named Seth. They are the proud godparents of triplet boys and a little girl. Thank you so much for joining me, Anila. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So where I wanted to start off with our conversation is to learn more about you and your story and what led you into the role that you're doing now as the president and chief executor, executive officer of the Center for Newcomers in Calgary? Okay. So, um, well, yeah. So I have been now with the Center for Newcomers as the CEO and president for seven years. Um, I'm like in my eighth year, I think I, it is right now. And uh, this is something that I've always actually wanted to do. It was really on my list of goals that I had since I was about 20 years old. Uh, one of the things that I knew that I wanted to do was I wanted to either be the CEO of the Center for Newcomers or the CEO of the Calgary Immigrant Women's Association. So, uh, you know, it was it was really nice to be able to seven years ago, take the, the helm here and be able to do this. And I think the reason why I wanted to do this was because, uh, first of all, my parents were immigrants. They came from India. You know, my, my entire family started arriving in the 1960s. And, um, you know, I was very acutely aware of all of the struggles of, of newcomers and and loss of credentials, you know, credential recognition, uh, loss of status, having to create new social circles and 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 even just the difference in culture between your own children and yourselves. Right. And how that can be quite traumatic for children and also traumatic for the parents who just don't understand why it's so difficult to connect with their kids anymore, right? And their kids are coming from a new culture and being exposed to new ways of being and new thinking and things like that. And so uh, I've always kind of worked with youth and um, and refugee kids is where my heart really always has stayed. And so it was nice to be able to come back and, and be able to serve the community in this way. Well, it's exciting that this was your goal, and now you are living that goal. That is yes. incredible. And for the past seven years, so congratulations. Heading into Thank eight. You. Now, I was doing some looking around um, the website for the Center for Newcomers. First of all, uh, it's absolutely beautiful, and the stories shared there are absolutely beautiful. And um, I specifically was looking at the vision. And when I was reading it, it actually had me sort of take a moment of pause. So I'll just share it quickly now for people who are listening. So the Center for Newcomers imagines a community that values diversity in which people of all backgrounds find and create opportunities to fulfill their dreams and participate fully as citizens. So... Uh, you mentioned some of the challenges people face in coming to Canada. And in the work um, being done towards this vision, I also read on the website that the services being offered are oversubscribed. And it is really reflecting the continuing increase in the flow of newcomers to Calgary and to the Center for Newcomers. So what is the current state of immigration here in Canada? Well, you know, I think the government, and it really doesn't matter whether it's a liberal government or it's a conservative government, right? As the federal government and as Canada, um, I think we understand the value of immigration. We know that uh, 
almost 100% of our labor market growth and our um, and our population growth are attributed to to newcomers. Without immigration, we wouldn't have any population growth and we certainly wouldn't have any labor market growth. So economically and even just for the sustainability of our country, it's important to have immigration. So our so whoever the government is in power right now it happens to be the liberals are uh, work really hard in terms of providing immigration numbers to have a steady stream of newcomers being able to come to Canada. What we don't account for, of course, is war. We don't account for any acts of God, you know, like um, major, you know, floods or any of those other kind of things that might, you know, um, cause any kind of problems. So, so um, you know, that's where uh, a number of our issues um, actually are, are coming from. And so we have a huge increase in Afghan refugees currently and a huge increase of people coming from the Ukraine. Now, the government doesn't uh, refer to them as refugees. They're called temporary residents because they are supposed to go back to the Ukraine when it's safe to do so. But in all aspects of their lives, they are effectively refugees. The only difference is they are coming here without any type of benefits or supports the way refugees would. So they really need to be self-sufficient really quickly. And the numbers are beyond anything we've ever seen before. So it's a large influx of people that are that are coming into here. And that has really caused a big issue in the system in terms of we just don't have the resources to be able to meet the needs of the community in a timely manner. And as such, we've been reaching out to um, the rest of the community. We've been reaching out to, you know, um, places of worship, different groups that are able to provide us with some funding and with some sponsorship so that we can actually get some of these most vulnerable groups, including our Afghan um, women and our Ukrainian women, into uh, programming very quickly. Yeah, there has been a lot going on in our world. And um, even in my own children's schools, we've been seeing um, some new faces of kiddos coming from both Ukraine and Afghanistan. And um, I can't imagine the situation that they've left in coming here and to have an organization and or a number of organizations coming together to find those creative solutions and to provide that support and getting them um, settled here in Canada is, is amazing. Now, the other thing that I was blown away by when I was exploring the Center for Newcomers website are all the opportunities to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I was looking and seeing that there are programs for youth and classes on language and literacy and parenting and money, money management, computer literacy, returning to work, and then also workshops on the exploration of diversity and inclusion cultural competency training, and like the list goes on and on. I was absolutely blown away. And I'd love to get your thoughts on how teaching and learning are an integral part of the important work happening at the Center for Newcomers. 
Absolutely. I think regardless of whether you're a newcomer or you're born here or, you know, wherever you happen to come from, lifelong learning is so important and integral to just being human, right? To being able to, to, to fully take advantage of everything in our society and our community and, and, and to really actively participate. And uh, the ability to provide educational opportunities, not only for newcomers, but for the community to learn about newcomers and to learn about about um, social issues, especially systemic discrimination. You know, we do a lot of workshops around cultural competency, uh, cultural humility, anti-racism, um, you know, what it is like to, to, um, to be LGBT uh, plus, you know, what, what does that look like in, in terms of, of having all of these, you know, stacked on other um, needs or, you know, equity kind of needs uh, around, you know, being maybe, maybe you are a person of color and you're a woman and you belong to the LGBT plus community and you're a refugee, you know, what, what does that look like? And, and how do you, how do people navigate that? And how do we as community members um, help people feel included and feel like they belong, right? Because it's one thing to say, well, no, we're, we're a barrier free society, but it's another to, to really um, take that as active learning as always trying to learn ourselves in terms of, of learning about people that may be different than ourselves and how do we create spaces and places within our own homes, within our own schools, within our own grocery stores, even, you know, all the places that we're, we're going to be uh, where people can feel like they belong and, and lifelong learning education, you know, the ability to provide those in a barrier free way, free so that anybody can access them um, is extremely important. And so for the learning opportunities that you offer, are they online, in person, combination of both? What what sort of the uh, the design for those opportunities? Uh, both. So we do offer on um, online. We offer hybrid models. And then we also offer in person here at the center or within the community. Right. So it could be, say, a community group or a church group or, you know, a school. Um, I always love going to to schools and talking to children and talking to post-secondary students even around the work that we do and, and getting to hear from, you know, uh, typically young people. Right. Around, um, you know, their thoughts on things. And 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 it's a real learning opportunity for me. Right. Because because kids just have a way of expressing things and saying things that just make everything so simple. And I think as adults, we complicate things a lot. I agree. They also have the best questions. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and a lot of learning comes from those questions as well. But yeah, absolutely a, a great way and place to learn for sure. Now, I myself was born and raised in, in Calgary. I was born in Edmonton, actually. I moved to Calgary when I was two. Um, but I, so I can't imagine what the experience of a newcomer, being a newcomer to Canada would be like. So what would be some of the, like you've mentioned some of the barriers, but what would be some of the key barriers that people experience and face when they come to Canada? You know, I think it's, it's really interesting because I, I think there's a lot of um, kind of systemic issues that, that are unconscious and that we don't even realize, right. As Canadians that we, what that will do. Right. And, and so when when people arrive in Canada, you can expect that for the most part, um, they speak English or French fluently, 
right? Um, 93% are speaking English or French fluently because they're coming under the economic class. It's typically their, their family members or refugees that don't speak English. So they're coming with a certain level of an ability to communicate. Um, but they're also coming for a variety of reasons, right? And all of them are for a better lifestyle, right? For a better way of life. That could be um, for more freedom. That could be for more opportunities, more education opportunities, better um, quality of life for their kids, all of those different things. And in doing that, you know, I always think, I always say to people, imagine like the most foreign place to you that you've that you could think of, right? And it's going to be different for different people, right? So for me, you know, I think about, I visited both Saudi Arabia and I visited China and they were both extremely different cultures for me than I'm used to, right? And I don't speak the language in either of those places. And even as a tourist, navigating those places and spaces was really difficult for me. So if you imagine, you know, having to go to that place and even if you speak the language, but you don't have any of your friends there, none of your family is there, you've left them behind. And, you know, if you've got kids, then your kids are all upset because they've left everybody and everything they knew. They have to learn a new system and you're consistently learning new systems. You're learning the system of enrolling your kids in school. You're learning workplace culture in Canada, right? You're learning even entertainment. Like what do people do to entertain? Or, you know, you might have been used to going to your own church or, you know, place of worship in your own, you know, country of origin. And it might be the same faith, same denomination, but things might be different in terms of how you do them here. What time mass might be or or what language it's done in or, you know, what the expectations are in terms of just um, like social interactions. All of those things um, can really cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of distress because there's such big changes. Right. And um, and so so having. Um, uh, you know, community members, just all of us, you know, Canadians, Calgarians, you know, in, in the system, um, being welcoming and being patient and being curious and wanting to include people, you know, having our kids include their kids in activities and participating and, um, you know, what better way for children to learn about other cultures and, and other ways of being than by making friends with, with other children and, and, you know, that are new to Canada and asking them, you know, what do you do? What do you eat at home? What are, you know, the kind of things that you did back in, you know, what games did you play? Maybe learn something new. Um, you know, that's that's where I think it's, it's really difficult for people. It's really navigating systems and understanding systems when, you know, you've been a successful, you know, adult in your home country for so many years navigating all these systems. And it took you your entire life to learn all of this. And you had mentors or parents or, you know, teachers or whoever else that helped you there. And now you, you know, you're kind of feeling like you're on your own. It can be really difficult. Oh, I just, I think about myself traveling. And as you said, I love how you spoke of or, uh, the idea of picturing yourself going to a country where it's completely new and different. And yeah, it makes me think about some of the travel experiences that we had, but then knowing that that was a short-term thing and it wasn't a long-term thing and it was more of a holiday exploratory thing and not a day-to-day -day thing where I'm having to think about you know, all that, like the schooling, the work and all the systems, as you said, 
Um, and uh, and I appreciate you too sharing kind of the, the mutual responsibility in the learning and how we as a community can also be better in being curious and supportive and welcoming and and being a resource for people that are coming to help them navigate all the crazy systems that we have here and all the different ways that we do things. So with the current barriers and challenges that newcomers face, what changes need to happen and why? You know, um, the biggest change that we really need to see is in credential recognition for newcomers, right? Um, Right now, the federal government and the province allow people to come into the country based on the type of skills they have, the education they have, the background they have, the experience they have in those jobs and those positions. And the positions that they allow in are the ones that we have vacancies in. So we really need people to fill those positions. So if it's good enough for our federal and provincial governments it should be good enough for all of us in terms of their ability to actually work in those fields. But what happens is that we, as, as Calgarians, as Canadians, as Albertans, we gatekeep, um, sometimes consciously, you know, um, and, and mostly subconsciously, unconsciously, right? Where we're looking through resumes and we're like, oh, I don't know what that university is or I don't know where that's from. So I'm going to just set that aside. Right. Or I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that name. So I'm just going to set that aside. And like I said, more often than not, it's it's unconscious, which is why the education and learning is so important so that we remember not to do those things. We're very conscious of making sure that we're not just putting resumes aside because we don't understand them. Right. And what I mean by we don't understand them is that we don't know where that university is. You know, it's as easy as Googling it to be like, oh, this is a legitimate university, you know, that and oh, and the U of C or Mount Royal University actually recognizes its credentials. Makes sense. That's why they're here. Right. And and giving people that opportunity and that chance. I think that that's the biggest piece is is we know that we have lots of labor shortages. So being able to provide those opportunities and those chances for people to actually um to actually interview for positions and then providing them those positions because what ends up happening is then we have a very high skill uh, high skill um, workforce right a large number of people that are taking up positions in lower skilled or no skill needed jobs and then what that ends up doing is that then ends up displacing our youth that typically would take those jobs, right? Like, you know, I tell everyone I was a proud sandwich artist. You know, when I was a teenager, I worked at Subway, right? I had friends that worked at McDonald's and other places, the Tim Hortons and things like that. But if you look now, majority of our, um, you know, some of our, of our fast food type places are, um, we have we have newcomers that are in those positions. And if you were to ask those newcomers, they're very highly skilled people. They have post-secondary education in a variety of different um, skill sets and different occupations that we actually need to be filled. But we as a society are either consciously or unconsciously not allowing them to work in those positions, right? And so it has larger societal ramifications, right? Including not then having opportunities for our youth 
to be able to learn the skill set that they need, right? Because if you and I, you or I are an employer, are we going to hire the very stable, you know, immigrant person who's going to show up on time, is going to work, be grateful for the job and, you know, do things really perfectly? Or are we going to hire somebody that like, you know, 17 year old Anila that may or may not show up for work because I partied the night before, right? Which isn't all, I'm just talking about my, you know, teenage <laughs> life. It's not all teenagers, but, you know, but I mean, I mean, that's something that, that I think we really need to, to look at in terms of full societal ramifications and and from a purely economic standpoint you have more people working in higher paying jobs that are sustainable um, you have people then have that have actual health benefits are actually taking time off they're healthier and so the society as a whole isn't using our health system as much and also there's more taxpayer dollars going back into the system to build our infrastructure as well Right. So these are all types of things that that um, based on our own unconscious bias are having a huge impact on our overall quality of life for you and me, not only our newcomers. Yeah. And it definitely seems like a shift that if people uh, were recognizing those unconscious biases and doing some learning and education of themselves and, and the situation that um things could change and relatively quickly. So where does that change need to start, do you feel? Or has it started? Is there some momentum growing with it? So, so you know, that's the place where I think, you know, from the federal government perspective, they're, you know, they, they're doing it. From the provincial level, you know, over the course of the last um, three or four years, there's been, um, you know, bills that have come into play in, in Alberta that are um, that are designed to have uh, the the associations, right? The professional bodies really look at uh, newcomer credentials and ensure that those credentials are actually being recognized. So I think that we're making some good strides in in those places. Where I said, you know, where where I where I think, uh, you know, like I said previously we need to do a lot more. And I don't think there's a lot of momentum towards that is just in individuals, right? People that have, that are hiring managers, um, people that are in positions of power to hire people and to really look past um, their own, you know, learnings and what they know to be, to, to take a chance on, on people and hire people that maybe they don't know anything about their culture or their background or whatever else, but they do have the skill set. Yeah. And are these conversations that the Center for Newcomers and yourself and people um, working at your organization are having with kids? Because I find children are fantastic at bringing up topics of discussion and sort of challenging parents a little bit on some of their thoughts and ideas. Um, I find especially our youngest comes home with all kinds of questions about the ways we do things and how we might do things better. You know, for us, it's one of those things we would love to have audiences with kids and being able to talk about these things all the time. Yeah. Um, but really, we wait for an invitation. Okay. And maybe that's something we should stop doing, right? Maybe we should send an invitation saying that we can come and have these conversations. You know, um, you know, I'm going um, next week and I'm actually really excited because it's going to be Valentine's Day. So I'm going to a school to talk to grade nine students 
right? I'm going to do three different classes um, because their their curriculum, they're they're doing their unit on immigration at that point, right? So being able to have those conversations, I think, with young people is extremely important. And and I think to your point, um, you know, we should be doing more outreach to the schools, saying that we are available to have these conversations and that we would like to be able to meet with people, um, to meet with the kids and be able to really talk about those and and answer any of the questions that they may have. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to be putting in a plug to my husband, who is an elementary school principal. So there you go. There's one. Okay, I would love to come and visit his school anytime. I will let him know. Thank you. Now, I want to ask you some questions about you and yourself. And thinking back to uh, growing up or even recently, who might be a favorite teacher or what is a really impactful learning experience that you've had? You know, for me, the... I think back to a lot of students, a lot of teachers, but, um, uh, you know, that, that just believed in me that were willing to, to, um, listen to me when I had any needs or when I had any issues. And I actually want to bring up two of them. Um, one is a story about a friend of mine, which had a big impact for me just watching from the outside in. And the other is what happened to me myself. So when we were in junior high at Sir John A. McDonald Junior High School here in Calgary, we had a math teacher and his name was Mr. Kang. And he was from Korea. And, you know, he had a really thick accent and and he was very strict. And he said that he was strict because he grew up under Japanese occupation. And... Um, my best friend was terrible at math, terrible, terrible at math and self-professed terrible at math. And she would say this all the time. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he one day got so visibly angry at her saying, I can't do it, that he said to her, you are not leaving this desk and you are going to stay here all day until you do it. And everybody else got dismissed and we left. And I'm thinking I need to stay because this is looking scary. But, you know, she was in tears and she was staying and, and the whole thing. And, you know, and um, he afterwards, I asked her what happened. And he said, she said he was very kind and very gentle. And he said, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry with whoever adult in your life made you believe that you weren't smart enough to do this. Because you are and you can do this. And what do you need for me to help you? She ended up acing math. And now she leads nurses you know, in, in emergency rooms across our city, she teaches, she's doing her, you know, did her master's. She won all these bursaries as we were growing up for all of this work that she did. And math never held her back because Mr. Kang was so angry at whoever adults had told her that she couldn't do it. And it stayed in my life because um, that's all we need. We need one adult that just doesn't believe we're stupid, yeah. that just believes in us, right? And for me, similarly, when I was in university, I had a TA, Mr. Shivji, and he was my physics TA. 
And I really wasn't sure what I could do and, you know, if I could do it and he helped. But what was more important was in university, I had been diagnosed with chronic depression and things were really hard at the time. And he would bring me lunch and he'd say, look, you know, or he would, you know, he would give me stuff to eat and he would just ask me how I'm doing and just, you know, say, you know, you're and tell me that I'm brave. Tell me that I can still do it. And that this like my diagnosis isn't the end of the world and I'm going to be perfectly fine. And two months ago, I was privileged enough to to be in the audience as one of his guests 25 years later to watch him receive the Queen's Jubilee Medal for his work in community service and volunteerism. You know, and again, it's teachers like that that care above and beyond whatever subject it is. They see you as a person. And even if the entire world, at least you feel like the entire world is telling you you can't do it and you're not good enough, they are there to say, I don't really care what anyone else thinks. I don't even actually care what you think right now. I know better and I know that you can do this and I know that you are worth it. And that made the difference to me and it made the difference to my best friend. Those are two incredible stories and they sound both sound like two incredible teachers who really made both yourself and your friend feel seen and heard and understood. And there definitely are those special people out there, those teachers that just have that magic and that real sense of the importance of relationship and connecting with the people that they're supporting. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I'm so glad you had that full circle moment. That must have been an incredible day. Oh, when, when Mr. Shivji called me, I saw it coming up and, you know, and I answered the phone and, and he says, I'd like to invite you to an event. I get 10 spots and my family is coming and I'd like you to be amongst my family members. And it just made my entire week, like to be able to go and, and, you know, to, to see that, you know, and he, he tells me, all the time how proud he is of the work that I do at the center and you know the woman that I've become and all of those different types of things and so to have a mentor for for 25 years that um was just he just believed in me and he continues to believe in me um is such a blessing in my life such an incredible blessing wow I love that story thank you so much for sharing that now, speaking of all that you've accomplished and, and in having that incredible support from a mentor for 25 years, which is amazing, you've had so many uh, incredible opportunities and experiences and successes and recognitions. So when you look back at your journey so far, what is something that you're the most proud of? I am the most proud of the work that um, we were able to do over COVID, I think. It was and continues to be an honor of my lifetime to serve our community the way we did. Um, when COVID first hit, Northeast Calgary had the highest number of COVID cases and the lowest um, vaccine uptake once we started being able to do vaccines. And to be able to participate as the chair 
and lead the community response with all of the different social services agencies with so many different um, friends, you know, uh, other CEOs come together. And we were able to feed 50,000 Calgarians with culturally comforting food hampers. We were able to go from the highest rate of COVID to the lowest case, cases of COVID and the lowest uptake of vaccine to the highest um, uptake of vaccine in the country. You know, and so, um, and we did that as a collaborative, as a community response, you know, 250 organizations working together. It was the honor of a lifetime to be the chair of that. You know, I think I, I live, breathe, work that I was doing 14 hours days, you know, seven days a week in, in terms of, of ensuring that everything was where it needed to be and, and that, you know, um, ensuring people maintained their housing, that they didn't lose their homes because they weren't able to work and doing the advocacy and, and that kind of work. Um, I'm the most proud of that. I'm, I'm the most proud of how community members came together collectively and how we were able to support some of the most vulnerable people in our city. That is incredible. And to have a leadership role in that journey and really um, all those community stakeholders and partners coming together to make that all happen is wonderful. So congratulations for that. Now I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Okay, so first one is, what is something that you would love to learn about or something that you would learn love to learn to do? Oh, there's a whole bunch of things on my list. I want to learn to play the guitar. I'm not very good at it. Um, I'd love to learn to speak Turkish fluently. Right now, I kind of understand about one third of it. Um, and I'd love to go to Konya, where um, Jalaluddin Rumi the um, the Sufi master and, and poet um, is is buried. So those are things that I'd love to do. That's a great list. What is a place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? Konya, definitely. Okay. <laughs> I really, you know, I've been able to go for pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia as a Muslim woman. It was really important for me to do. Um, and uh, the only other place that I'd really like to go is I'd like to be able to pay homage to um, to Master Rumi and, and be able to pray at his grave. What is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show that you've enjoyed recently? Uh, you know, I really enjoyed The Peripheral. It um, It's a TV show and it's also a book. And, you know, my husband and I are really into sci-fi and fantasy and, you know, this is, you know, post-apocalyptic kind of work, but I really enjoyed the fact that the lead is a woman. I'm, I'm really enjoying how much more we're seeing in this genre where women and, and female characters and, and queer characters are taking the lead, which I think is extremely important. Um, diverse color, um, like people of color, um, you know, all kinds of different diversity is happening. And um, I really enjoyed um just being able to see um a really kind of intelligent um sci-fi drama unfold with a woman as the lead i'll have to check that one out thank you and if you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you would love to learn from who would it be and why i would do they have to be alive no Oh. <laughs> whatever you prefer, whatever you would like yeah, yeah no you rules know, these, days, yeah, this, these days I think it would really be Maya Angelou 
And because I'm really interested in how she was able to consistently and successfully and eloquently speak about her own life um, with so many autobiographies that she wrote. And, you know, she's everybody quotes her, you know, in terms of inspirational quotes. But, you know, uh, I've been reading through some of her her books more recently and and just, you know, she talks about ordinary things but in 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 ways that everybody can understand and how they've had an impact on her so i'd love to just hear from her in terms of how she navigated all of that and how she navigated the spotlight and what that looked like that would certainly be an incredible conversation now Education really plays such a role in everything that we do. So how we work, live, play, and explore. So I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom to empower or support people on their own learning journeys. Oh, I I think we have to fight for our education, right? I think that education isn't passive, that we need to consistently be looking at how we can learn and grow and improve ourselves. And, um, and we, you know, there's, we're, we're in a digital age where there's so many free courses from Harvard and Cornell and, you know, McGill, you know, all of these uh, Ivy league schools that you can learn from renowned people from all over the world in multiple different languages. So, you know, um, consistently just going out there and, and seeking and, and especially meeting people that are different than you and asking questions, right? Um, you know, if you're a, a certain political stripe and you've got a person that is like your complete enemy, why not ask them for, you know, coffee and learn about them? You might learn something about yourself, right? And, and, and be curious, ask people questions. I love that so much. I'm actually reading a book right now called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know by organizational psychologist Adam Grant. And it's so much about that, how we tend to hang out with the same sort of group of people. Mm -hmm. And if we connect with people that think about things in a different way, and we ask a lot of questions and we're more curious, it can really help to open our minds, but also help us to understand each other better. So I appreciate your wisdom there. Anila, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and all your words of wisdom with us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you and the Center for Newcomers, where are the best places to get more information and find out more? So our website is centerfornewcomers.ca and center is spelled R-E. So you can go to centerfornewcomers.ca. You can also find me personally and the Center for Newcomers on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Instagram. We're we're publicly available on on all of those platforms. So we can find you in all the places. (laughs) All the places. All the places. Thank you so much for joining me, Anila. It was great to chat with you and to learn from you. Thank you. I had such a great time. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together. 